Good morning. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant Prez. Um, we are looking this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, continuing on with the series um, in the book of Ephesians. Paul the Apostle is writing, I Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, was born a Pharisee in the strictest sect of Judaism that at least was in public life in Israel. Um, as a young boy, um, he spoke Aramaic and not Greek. He certainly knew Greek, but as a matter of religious sentiment, he spoke Aramaic. He read the scriptures in Hebrew. His family followed all of the laws of Judaism. He was, as he describes it, blameless. He was a student of the great Jewish rabbi Gamaliel. Um, a rabbi so great that he's known today among the Jews. We know from his writings that he was a man of exceptional intelligence. We know from his life that he was a man of exceptional drive. And from his youth, he had a high degree of religiosity. And he writes in the letter to the Ephesians, which is a letter sent um, we think to Asia Minor, it was a circular letter. It went from meant to be read in one church and then another, probably the same area as the book of Revelation. And in this letter, many people talk about Romans being kind of like the distillation of Paul's gospel. And, and I think it is in many ways, but the book of Ephesians also has that. It has this logical driving forward of the truths of Scripture. And if you've been paying attention as we've been going through, there's some things to notice. I mean, in 115, for this reason. In 211, therefore. 31, for this reason. Um, 314, for this reason. And now in chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, Paul is building. It's like, it's like one truth on top of another. It's a chain that's linked together. One piece is connected to the next. 
And here he says, therefore, you need to live worthily. You need to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What? How how am I to do that, Paul? Also, therefore, what? What's the therefore? I mean, that's, this is the thing you've probably heard. It's kind of dumb, but you, every time you read the therefore, you ask yourself what it's there for. Yeah. So we go back to chapter three. What, what does the therefore refer to? It, it refers to his prayer. It's linked. I mean, it probably refers to the whole letter before, but it's really linked to the prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and his inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know, listen to this, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Surpasses. This is, no, this is not an intellectual knowing, if it, if you know something that surpasses knowledge, it by definition cannot be intellectual. It's not that it's not describable in some way, but it's beyond. It's beyond. Paul has been given a responsibility to urge us to walk worthy of the call to which we have been called. And this is not a descent into legalism. It is a response to love. There are two kinds of people sitting here. And when you think what kind you are, It's not permanent because you can flip from one side to the other, sometimes even in the same day. Type number one is the person who would never say it, but feels that they're pretty good. That they're worthy. They aren't that bad. I mean, look at, I mean, there are some really awful people out there. I mean, really, no matter how terrible the worst of you is, we can find with ease someone worse than you. And then there are those of you who sit and sometimes you listen to God's word preach and you are filled with a creeping dread that God will not 
actually hold on to you. That you will be found out. That God is just barely bearing you in his presence right now and it will not maintain and he will cast you out. Pride and fear and the two flip one to the other. Look, Paul, I get, for me, one of the things in my life is just this kind of growing um, meditation on God's work in the life of Paul. Because, I mean, think about it. Paul is a, I mean, Paul's a really smart guy, right? So he knows, he knows the gospel. He knows the story of Jesus. He met Jesus, you know, the risen Jesus. But, but I mean, he knew the whole gospel. And so Paul knew who Jesus had gravel in his sandals toward. He, know, he knew who got, in a sense, underneath Jesus' skin, that where Jesus became angry, righteously, sinlessly angry. And ask yourself, who was it? Was it the sexually immoral? No. I mean, Jesus would, when he dealt with the sexually immoral, he said, go and sin no more. It's not that he said that's not a problem, it's not a sin. What about Jews who were like just absolute traitors to their country, collaborated with the Romans? I mean, I mean, we think about that, it sounds kind of mild, but I mean, if somebody was doing that today, I mean, we would get really burnt at them. But he, he, he didn't. I mean, they, they turned away from their lives and followed God in response to him. Who, who did Jesus really kind of get activated about? Religious people, particularly religious leaders who used their position and used the scriptures for their own advantage, to take advantage of people, to oppress the poor. I mean, Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees, teachers of the law, you heap burdens on men's back and you don't lift a finger to help them. That's what Jesus hated. That was Paul. Um, many of you have been following what's been going on in the Middle East, right? It's, I mean, it's, 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 diff, it's actually difficult for me to follow because it's so horrible. It's so horrible. And, and the thing about it, you know, like, um, this is the difference between um, what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening in Israel. When Russian soldiers have gone into places and done things that is really, really, really terrible, and then people say, the international community says, this is a horrible thing, and they say, oh, we haven't done that. No, no, we didn't do that. We would never do that. What has Hamas done? Taking the camera, and they said, watch what we're doing. And then proceeded to do things that were horrific and broadcast it to the world. Why would they do that? Because they are absolutely convinced that they are right. They are absolutely convinced 
that God is behind what they are doing. Paul showed up at your house in the middle of the night and drug your parents off to jail and they did not come home. Paul stood by while righteous Stephen was stoned to death by religious leaders that have not a glimmer of the goodness of Stephen. And he died praying for his persecutors. What do you think happened to Paul on the road to Damascus? I mean, on the road to Damascus, Paul is going with all the legal documents necessary to carry his bloodthirsty, legalistic, condemning persecution of Christians to Damascus, Syria. He's exporting the horror. And God strikes him blind to show you are blind. You are spiritually blind. This is why Paul writes later, he says, the unspiritual man cannot understand the things of God. They're foolishness to him because they are spiritually discerned. He's blind. He thinks he gets it, but he's absolutely blind and he's doing great evil. Going, he finds a Christian named Ananias comes to him in fear <laughs> to minister to this man. And what happens? He washes him, says scales fall from his eyes. Look, that does not mean scales fell from his eyes. And he said, oh, Christianity is true. Oh, it's, I, I get it now. Jesus is the third person of the Trinity and I'm supposed to trust in Jesus and he's the Messiah. That's not what happened. Scales broke from his eyes and he saw the horror of his sin and the beauty and the mercy of Jesus at the same time. Imagine for a moment one of those Hamas fighters who went house to house and did things that are difficult to even think about. Imagine for them to come to a full knowledge of the gospel and see their sin for everything that it is. Paul went to houses and churches full of Christians who lost loved ones at his hands. He gets it. And so when Paul says, the love that surpasses knowledge, this is what he's talking about. He gets his sin and he's absolutely overwhelmed by the love of Christ, where Christ would place his love on him and say, I am going to, while we were yet sinners, everything that Paul writes is personal. He knows while we were yet sinners, while he is going to breathe threats and do violence against the church, Christ died for him. Poured out his blood on the cross. Lived a perfect life that will one day be given to Paul. And when Paul gets it, when he receives it and sees his sin, he is absolutely overwhelmed all the time. 
by Christ's love. And that is what we are called to respond to. It's not about earning your salvation. It's not about paying God back. It's not about shame on you if you don't do the right thing. It's about being absolutely soaked in what Christ has done for you. And if this, if you apprehend what Christ has done for you, it will change the way that you live. Love changes us. Love absolutely transforms us. And he is saying, what you have been given, go give to others. This is, Bill talked last week, quoting Thomas Chalmers, the ex, talked about the expulsive power of God's love. It's Christ's love that drives sin out. We don't, we don't wag our finger at sin until it leaves. God's love pushes it out of our lives. And so Paul, he's, he's sending this letter around and it's, it's this, uh, it's like two things. He says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord, which one means I'm not there. I, all I can do is urge you people. There have been times I could show up and I could talk to everybody face to face, but now is not that time. I am in the pokey and I cannot come to you. But I want to let you know that I, as somebody who's willing to suffer for the Lord, am urging you to do this. And I don't think that this list that we have is meant to be an absolutely um, uh, complete list. It's, it's an example of what it means. What does it mean to walk worthy of the calling? Humility. Which, in the King James, it's, tra it's translated lowliness. Which is... Loneliness is a right estimation of yourself. It's comparing yourself to God in Christ rather than to other people. And having done this, then making demands for yourself in accordance with the right estimation of who you are, which is, in some senses, nobody. I, I heard a great theologian this week Mike Tyson, who just, by the way, said, it's probably second grade, his first greatest saying is everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. But the, he said, sometimes I get in my head and I think I'm somebody and I'm easily offended. But when I know I'm nobody, I could never be offended. When you know you're nobody, you can't be offended. Paul says gentleness, meekness. Meekness is this, and this is so, I mean, Christ is humble. He never asserts his privilege. He is king of the universe who has come down from heaven and from his incarnation, he never took his privilege to himself. He lived as a servant, though he was a king. And then gentleness. 
What is gentleness? Gentleness is the application of only the amount of force that's absolutely necessary to intervene in any situation. In other words, a person who's gentle does not blast someone who's trembling. A person who's gentle can pick up a baby hummingbird and not crush it. Smoking flax, he will not extinguish. A bruised reed, he will not break. One of the things, if you spend time in the Gospels, that you will see is that Jesus can absolutely flatten a Pharisee and at the same time show absolute gentleness towards a sinner, a sick person, a young child. That's who Jesus is. Patience, long-suffering, willingness to put up with discomfort and personal struggle. I was reading, there's a great commentator, all, all Presbyterian pastors read this guy. His name's William Hendrickson, am I right? Yes. He writes, this is great. In view of the fact that God has been so long-suffering toward me, even though in his, follow his thinking here, even though in his holy eyes, my sins must stand out far more clearly than do my brother's blemishes in my eyes. <laughs> Did you catch what he's saying? When God looks at me, he's absolutely holy, he's absolutely wise, and, and my blemishes, like that's the thing, we think, oh, you know, I don't want God to see this. He sees it all. Like he sees all the stuff that we don't admit to ourselves, and he sees it far more clearly than we could ever bear. And he's long-suffering toward it. We think that he's long-suffering because we're hiding. No. He's long-suffering because that's his nature. That's part of his love. And so, if our sins stand out more clearly to God than our brother's sins stand out to us, I must surely be patient with my brother. Well, bearing with each other in love. Part of my calling to love my brothers and sisters is to love them through things that irritate me. And he says, bearing with one another in love, which means this, and this, I don't like to think about this because this is me. I tend to bear with people while burning on the inside. I can... I can act a very, very good game and it not be in love. That's actually evil, but I can do that. I do do that. But he says, bearing with one another in love, meaning that as we are bearing with our brother, our sister, from within, by the Spirit, we realize God's great love towards us and we pour it out on them and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, desire plus effort to maintain loving relationships. When we take those five vows that are a little hard to understand sometimes, those five vows, I, I, I promise to submit in the Lord to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace. That's this. That, that not only am I willing to love my brothers, but I'm willing to seek 
to bring my brothers and sisters together. Seek to maintain good relationships. Why do you think that Paul includes gossip with murder in the list of bad sins? Because gossip destroys the Spirit's work. It attacks the Spirit's work in bringing us together. This is not an external unity. It's an internal unity where we are passionate about our relationships with one another. I came here. This is great. I have this. I still have this like new knowledge of your congregation, right? Because I'm new. So I see things. And like people say, you know, they, y'all say to me a lot, we're a relational church. Well, you are. It's not perfectly, but that is. But we maintain that intentionally. Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples by the love you have one for another. Guys, I mean, you have great music. You have a wonderful building. You have some great systems where things are done well. You have great programs. None of it is meaningful without love for one another. That's what you fight for first. I mean, really, in some ways, that's what you fight for only. And Paul goes back. He gives like a theological reason. He says, there is one body. There is one. You are all grafted into the body of Christ. And Christ is one. He is not many. There is one spirit, the Holy Spirit. He grafts us into the body of Christ. And if you are a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus, the same spirit has bound you into the body, has bound all of us. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, we're all placing our hope in the Lord Jesus and in his promises. One Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, the truth of who he is, one baptism. And I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, if you were baptized in a Baptist church and you're baptized in a Presbyterian, you know, it's, we're, it's all one baptism, even across true Christian denominations. We're baptized, though, into one body. I mean, that when a child is baptized in this church into the body, that's a sign that they are to belong to the body. And when they come to faith, that is actualized. We are one together. People, this is not a club. And in, a, in, in one sense, I mean, this is a family, but this is greater than a family. This is a forever family. The people that you are with, if they are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, and they irritate the snot out of you, you are with them forever. And God is going to put them close to you so that you will learn to love them better so that you will become more like Christ Jesus because if he could love you. He, and he completes, it's, it's interesting, Paul does this all the time. People who say that there's no Trinity in the Bible, it's kind of nuts. 
Paul thinks in a Trinitarian way all the time. Verse 6, one God and Father of all. He's completing the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit, who is over all, through all, and in all. God is outside. He is above all. He is outside of all creation, time, all existence. But he's also through all. He enters into this with us. So we're, we're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning. And I want to give you a challenge. Because um, in 1 Corinthians 11, it tells us to examine our faith. But that examination of our faith is not simply to ask ourselves, do I believe all the right thing? It's an examination of your faith worked out in love towards others. Because the situation in Corinth is that people were shaming and humiliating their brothers and sisters. And Paul said, for this reason, many of you are sick and some have died. It's, it's about love. So, as you hear this, I want to tell you there's kind of a two Christian responses when we, when we hear something that we don't measure up. There's two things that happen. One thing that happens is sometimes when you hear God's word come to you and you realize that you are not living in accordance to that word, sometimes what happens is you just simply turn away from the sin in joy. Thank you, Lord, for giving me that today. I am not going to live in that kind of way. I'm going to live, I'm going to follow Jesus. Sometimes the word comes and you just turn. But sometimes the word comes and you say to yourself, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I'm willing to do it. I mean, that all sounds fine, but I'm thinking of a specific person in my life they're a Christian, I'm a Christian, and I'm not willing to be reconciled to them. Lord, I don't think I can do this. I just want to be honest before you, Lord. I think I'm in rebellion on this one. What do we do? The answer is not browbeat yourself into obedience or guilt yourself into obedience. The answer is you return to Christ's love. You go back to Jesus. You bathe in your relationship with him. You draw nearer to him. The problem in how we treat one another fundamentally is rooted in our relationship with Jesus itself. It is, it's, a, it's a symptom it says something is not right in my relationship with Jesus that I would then treat my brothers and sisters in this way. I return to Jesus so that I can be reconciled with my brothers and sisters. And so, we're going to come to the Lord's Supper. And I'd like to just place the question, where in your life is there a relationship where the love of Christ is not being reflected from you to them? And what is Jesus calling on you to do to change? And before you take the supper, just say, Lord, change my heart.
Because the Lord's Supper, it's one loaf. We're one body. This is, it's a, it's a meal of the forever family who lives within the promise of Jesus that's sealed on the cross and that has its destination at his return. To ask yourself, how specifically is Jesus calling me to live and love my brothers and sisters? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would make the love of your Son flow through our lives. That you would give us by Holy Spirit the grace to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We ask this in the name of our King, Jesus Christ. Amen.